0: You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti racist, anti oppressive, multicultural perspective? This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store.
1: Hey, everybody, good morning, maybe. <laughs> Say a good morning. Is it a good morning? Antonia has to tell me if it's a good morning. I guess it is. <laughs> Here in Minneapolis, I'm excited to say it's 19 degrees and it feels like 19 degrees, which means there's no horrible wind to make you weep as you run to your car. Uh, Michael Tino, how is it where you are?
2: Uh, good morning, everyone from beautiful Mount Kisco, New York. I'm in my office where uh, Outside it is 17 degrees and feels like minus one. So I think um, it might be colder here than in Minneapolis, which is a little weird uh, for this time of year, but uh, it is a beautiful blue sky that I can see. I have to look up because I'm underground here in my office. Uh, It is a beautiful blue sky and the sun is shining through the ice that is coating everything. Uh, We had an ice storm the other day, and so all the trees are coated in sparkling ice, and it is a magical winter wonderland. It's just freezing. And I can't even repeat the things that WT Forecast is saying about how it is here. How is it down south, Christina Rivera?
0: I love love the thought that Charlottesville, Virginia is down south. (laughs) It sounds at least moderately warmer than to New York. And- right? <laughs> it's like, it's tropical. It's 31 degrees. It's cold. <laughs> uh, we don't have any snow or ice or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's it's actually, it's the kind of cold that I prefer. Um, you know, it's not wet, it's nothing like that. It's just cold. So that means as a um, woman who's going through menopause and hot flash, it is delightful because I can just step outside when I need to or open a window. Um, so I'm enjoying Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where I'm coming to you all from. Aisha, how's it doing? Well, I'm in balmy Seattle. I don't know. It might be 38. It might be
3: close to 40 here. So I'm, we're just walking around in our bikinis. I mean, who needs to be dressed in this weather? Uh, i Aisha Hauser, I'm in Seattle, Washington. If you're wondering where this paradise is, not Hawaii, Seattle. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, Antonia, how's the weather? I love that we start with the weather. It's like, uh, we're all just hanging out, having coffee. It's very fun. How are you Antonia and where's the weather?
4: (laughs) It is cold in Montclair, New Jersey. And I just wanna say it's warmer in Delaware. It feels like, according to my forecast people, it feels like it is, oh, it got warmer, seven degrees here, which is just not right. I'm cold and I'm not happy, and there was snow. Uh, Today we're gonna be on YouTube. I did just post the link over in Facebook. So join us on YouTube, share it widely so all of your friends can find us there. And we are gonna be here and you can ask questions, put it right up in the chat, it'll be great. And Meg, what are we doing today? What wonderfulness are we bringing to the world today?
1: We are bringing wonderfulness to the world today in the person of Teresa Ines Soto. But before we get to Teresa, I just want to say it looks like we're probably going to be moving to YouTube. The reason for that is just that Facebook won't let us on, as uh, those of you who are regulars have probably figured out by now with our tech issues. And one of the reasons that we chat about the weather for a minute is to give people time to find us because we don't really think you're fascinated by our weather, though it is fascinating. More that uh, you may, it may take you a minute to to get to us. And we appreciate those of you with a tenacity to do that. Those of you who listen to podcasts won't experience any different with the deft hand of Antonia Beldegado making it work for you. <laughs> and that is the majority of you who listen later and we don't blame you for that at all it's a great thing to do while you're cooking or wrapping gifts or whatever else you're doing but i'm really excited because we've never talked about poetry really on the show before and today we have one of my favorite poets and i think many people's favorite poets michael is holding up to new book spilling the light it's not that new but I'll just say, if you do stockings, it's really a good size for a stocking stuffer. I got two of them for stockings because they fit, among yeah. other things. And, and yeah. They printed a new batch, so it's uh, it's. I, did stock. it sell it's out good. immediately? Yeah. That's great. It's four, four batches have been printed already? Four? Four. Cool. That's fantastic. You know. Um, I
0: thought we were at three though.
1: Well, Christina, you held up your four. Yeah. What, what do you think?
0: I thought that we were on four, but it could be three. But either way, oh, my God.
1: It's pretty amazing. No, know.
0: It's great, right? Thank and the reason everyone. for that, I
1: think, is that it's such a beautiful book. And so timely and so needed. Great for worship services. Great for meetings. Great for just sitting at home with it. Um, So, Teresa, whoa. <laughs> I there are so many things I want to ask you. So I'll start with this. How it, how for you does poetry fit into activism and resistance? How do you see those things connected up that, that, um, you know, Audre Lorde wrote that amazing essay decades ago, poetry is not a luxury, and talks about poetry bridging what we can imagine and what we want to get to. And does that resonate for you that it's, it's the, It's the bridge, or how do you think about it?
5: So I normally think of the way that we access what's really core to being a human being. And um, there are a few different ways. Religion is one of them, right? So everything that's super important, we condense it and practice it in our religion. But then that also happens with math. Everything that's super important in the physical world ties into math or can be spoken in a math way. And the same is true of art. So all the other arts like painting and dancing and things that we can't even say exactly what they are, like uh, artists fighting over the blackest black or the pinkest pink, all that is uh, another way to access what's really super important. So the reason I love poetry so much is that it dances a couple of those lines, right? Like rhythm is related to how math works and sound and sight and feeling are all like, we can squish them into a poem and have this moment where we say, this is what's really important to us. And it's easy. It's easy to get like burdened and distracted by everything that's happening in a day, much less a week, much less a life, you know. So um, so I think that what I love about poetry is that ability to change the channel and think about what's really important for just a minute.
1: So I neglected to say that Teresa is the lead minister in Oakland, California, and I wonder, and you were a lawyer before seminary, as I know your story, correct? yeah that's right so have you been writing poetry through through all of this or when did you start writing poetry
5: oh I think I wrote my first thing on a napkin when I was about 11 right and that's not counting like oh we're gonna write a couplet so I must have been doing that all through school and then and then I had meant to be a writer all along Um, but a few things happened that delayed that so I didn't study it in school for which I ended up being pretty glad because it meant that I came to the way that I wrote honestly for me and um, so then 20 years later the thing that I always wanted to happen was able to happen
3: Well, I bought six copies of your book, one in Kindle because I need to have it always and five and I've given away three because two, I need one in Sorry. my house and one in my office. Yeah. So um, it, I've used it for almost, actually not almost, every single worship service that I've led or been part of, actually almost, I've used one of your poems. So they just open our hearts and and say so much about it with clarity what I love, Teresa, is um, how deeply rooted in Unitarian Universalism the poems are of, of how we can be. Um, Spilling the Light, the namesake of your book is one of my favorites and the one I read the most often, but I love them all. So it's hard, to, it's like pick, trying to pick a favorite child. It's, it's difficult because they're all just extraordinary. Can you tell us more about Spilling the Light if, or, or however you are moved? But that one is definitely the one I've read the most, even just to myself when I'm sitting around.
5: Well, I really love, of course, our central chalice imagery, how we talk about the chalice, how we practice lighting it and extinguishing it, and how, that's, um, how that brings an image of power among and between us as we practice, right? And then the idea, like we say that showing truth and showing the right way to live is more important than a lot of other ways that people imagine of being religious so don't just talk about your faith or your ethics show them and um in that same way that's what that poem is about like show your life show your faith so that's where that comes from
2: well, you know, you write in there, um, I'm gonna quote it because it's right here in front of me. You write yeah. the thing you must do is be yourself, unadulterated, shedding the willingness to journey alone as though you are made of something hard and unforgivable. And like every time I read that, I get chills, right? Because um you are giving me permission. To do that, and I am giving the congregation permission to do that, and it's just it's when you talk about boiling down the essence of what's most important to us as human beings, like that line does that so beautifully for me. Um, Or those three lines, three and a half lines. Just do that.
5: I'm really glad. Um, I think easy for us to say that unitarian universalism is and just pick one facet, right? It's this way or it's that way. And it's really all the ways that we practice that are good. So I, I feel really grateful for people to be able to say, yeah, that's right. This is about being together and doing what's right together. I'm really grateful.
1: Did you write some of those pieces for worship services or I I just because here we're all talking about how we use them but how how do you write them how do they come to you and and in what way
5: one of my favorite poems for a long time was Ars Poetica by Archibald McLeish and um, he was the poet laureate of somewhere something and in that poem he says a poem must be palpable but mute like a globed fruit. And when I made the proposal for this book, I said, you know, for a long time, this was the measure that I carried with me of what's a good poem if you can feel it with your um, tactile senses, if it's globed and mute um, like a fruit. But then the more I was in worship and around worship and with folks, I understood that that's not actually what I want to keep as my uh, best example, but rather that the poem be able to be read out loud and maintain its meaning. So, um, So all of them I wrote with the sense that someone would be reading them out loud to other people or at least someone else or at least themselves. So that was my perspective on
1: those. I think that was an accurate perspective. <laughs> I think
5: so pal- palpable
2: they're... but not mute. <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah, right. Palpable but not mute.
1: Not yeah. yeah, I did a Taisei service and used almost everything was from the book. And um it worked really well with people kind of with quiet and music in between. Um, yeah. It, it was really fun to, to get to have more than one in the same setting and kind of, um, yeah, bring them in. So.
5: Well, I'm really honored to be helpful in that way. I'm, I'm really grateful for that.
4: At the other oh. end of that, I did a house music Vespers and I also used. <laughs> That's
5: fantastic. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing.
1: A good all-purpose book. I'll say that your Facebook posts sometimes read like poetry and and I wonder if you um if those just, you know, kind of come out or if those are things that you craft and then post later and how much revision is involved with poetry cuz different poets just work so very differently in terms of Honing the craft in the words.
5: You know, I've thought about that a lot because uh, it's a science or like part of an exploration in literature that people collect rough drafts and talk about the meaning differences between like the cross outs and how it finally ends up. But in the digital age, there's not a preservation of that, unless there is. Like, I guess you could go back, but I mean, it seems rare that you'd be able to go back and track someone's changes and then be like, oh, well, this is, these are the changes in meaning over that. that, that wouldn't happen anymore. Um, for me, it's all the same process. So if I write something poetic on Facebook, it's because I sat there and wrote it in the same way that I did for the book, um, which is just to sit there and think about the feeling and meaning Right now, I'm in the middle of an Advent series. So, and I'll do that in the same way. Um, A lot of times, I'll be thinking, well, it's not that big a deal. But if I think about uh, preparing to write it, and then actually the series of changes that happens while it's being written, and then uh, watching the meaning spread out from me. It's actually the same as any other uh, attempt at poetry. It's not that different. Who are you guys' favorite poets generally? Or favorite poems? Well,
4: um, I, go ahead. I love uh, Nikki Giovanni. Uh, she was one of the first poets I was introduced to. Ego tripping. When I was young, uh, we had to learn a poem every year before we could before we could turn our next age. So one of my first poems, uh, somewhere between eight and ten, was Ego Tripping by Nikki Giovanni, and I loved her so much because just she could say things that I I felt but didn't have the words to form them well, and I still love her. Um, She's my favorite. I could go on and on about poetry, but she's my favorite.
1: Antonia, who had you memorize a poem before you could turn an age? Oh,
4: our mother. It's a. It's been probably it's a three or four generations. So before you could turn your next age, you had to learn a poem and and recite it um, on your well on or before your birthday. It's usually on my birthday because I love the adrenaline <laughs> of the last minute. <laughs> So, um, like my first poem was Midway by Naomi Long Magic. I was born, I was, yeah. now that's Nikki Giovanni, um, yeah, Midway, I'm trying to remember right now. And then there was Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. There was Myself, Edgar guest, Ego Tripping, Nikki Giovanni. Um, uh, let's see, for a lot of them, at least 18. Those are the ones that are like really important to me still, and they they're helpful as a way to you know situate life and situate yourself into life. What a
1: great gift for your mother and to be passed down through the generations that you have those poems now. It's beautiful. It's really cool. So now
3: I'm interested, Antonia. Do you know where it started? <laughs> I know it's a little digression, but I'm I, that's sort of Um, I think
4: thing. that. I think that my m- m- mother's grandmother probably started it. Um, um, education was really important in my family. Like reading was, most of us don't remember when we learned to read because we learned to read so early and also or or, you know, orating orientation. How do you say that? Um, that's also a thing just Just learning how to communicate in ways that um, that were moving also harnessed your power and uh, connected you to your heritage. One of those things, I didn't know other people didn't do it until much later. It's one of those things I have to overcome being a UU uh, on the path to UU ministry because none of our children seem to learn their lines. They read them off of the page and part of me dies. <laughs> like it's fun, sentences says. And so <laughs> culture shift.
5: <laughs> I relate to that I had to learn a poem a month in school from seventh grade on. So, yeah, I have a set of things. And sometimes I don't even refer to the whole thing anymore, just the first few lines, but it's really rooting. Yeah.
1: I would say when I came out back in 78, Adrienne Rich was uh, so necessary for me to find any language for what was going on in my life. Um, and she, she's dead now, of course, but her both her poetry and her prose remained um, guide stars for me and still are. I mean, she just, Is such a teacher and um, yeah, just giving language through poetry. And now I read all kinds of people, you know, I just, um, and I love that my 23 year old kid loves poetry. Like Jai gave me um, a poem for the first of, when they moved away, a poem for the first of every month to open and read by just a ton of poets and and write poetry themselves. And I just, I love that, that love of poetry got passed down. I remember when Jai was maybe 12, Jai was reading Pablo Neruda's love poems out loud in Spanish and um, said, I can't wait to have a lover so I can read these poems. to them, you know? And I just thought, you know, what a great way for a 12 year old to, to think. Although since then I learned troubling things about Pablo Neruda, but you know they are amazing poems and, and beautiful poems and there are just so many poets who I love fiction I love nonfiction, but poetry is what I go to when I'm in trouble every time Um, and I think of whoever it was who said the older I get the less theology I read and the more poetry
3: I grew up loving Shel Silverstein because at home I you know we only spoke Arabic and so in, at school it was whatever I was exposed to uh, and I actually still read some of his poems. Um, and I do not have an awful reaction to The Giving Tree, but we can have a whole nother show about that. We don't need to talk about it now. And I think it's because of oh, how we I Oh, should, though.
5: That's a good idea.
3: Yeah. No, seriously, I just don't have, I'm like, this vitriol against that book, I get it. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. And I just don't feel that way. Um, but now that I'm older and an intellectual you-you, haha. Um, I love, uh, Adrian, Rich. I was going to say, Nikki Giovanni, Audrey Lord, um, but I still go back to Shel Silverstein so for some of the, go back to my roots. So, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites. Aisha,
1: did you read Arabic poetry in the house? Was poetry? So,
3: no. So here's one of the things growing up. And I have a friend who grew up in a community of, um, chil- children of Japanese immigrants, so even though I my first language was Arabic and I speak Arabic, I don't read and write Arabic well because I did I wasn't schooled there. And so when I usually people are surprised to hear that, but I said it to a friend who grew up um, in Southern California. Said, oh no, almost all my Japanese friends were like that because they didn't grow up in the school, but they speak the language. So because I, I always feel like people look at me like I was dumb, and I'm like I'm not dumb. It's just that why my mother wasn't going to sit down and teach me an, our, a whole written language like she could barely get me to do my chores. So um anyway it's a long answer but no that's because i was. I
1: wondered if poetry arabic poetry was important to her at all but not the quran
3: the poetry of the quran was important to my mother and that's all she would walk around reciting all the time so i just need to (laughs) so that is what i memorized the way antonia you memorized poetry i memorized verses of the quran and i would get money or candy when i would do it correctly so
4: Same with Bible verses, they were worth good money (laughs) and candy.
1: (laughs) Christina, what about you? Did you grow up with poetry?
0: So I'm going to out myself um, in this conversation as a person who um, has never really connected, I, I would say with what I think people traditionally talk about when they say poetry um it's something that over the years i've tried to come back to because there's so many people that i love and trust and respect who find it soul nourishing and um and it's just not something that like i don't when i'm seeking that connection it's not what i go to um i don't have books of poetry you know and my sister in law is uh world renowned um a poet and um russian poetry translator um my my in-laws are are poets i've got ba- <laughs> i've got so much family that, that's connected to the poetry world and it's um so i would say the poetry that for me was music it was it was mu- you know it was poetry set to um lyrics set to to rhythm um and and that is really where Um, I have lines of music that speak to me as poetry, I think, um, in the way that I think it does for other people as well. There's a, um, there's one line in, um, in, I can't even remember the name of the song now, but it's, there was a, morning in the in the night and it, it's you know talking about a woman whose um, child is gone and and so the morning is actually you know the morning of that child and and there's those lines of music that i think speak to me um in the same way uh, that i think other people identify as poetry speaking to them so Two sides of a different coin. I mean, I know that there's debate as to you know whether or not music is really poetry, quote unquote poetry, and and how that you know what does what that's a conversation. Like what what do people say, think about that? But I I always um intrepidacious in poetry conversations because I just have um and, and the reason I I say it is because whenever I say it. I all oh, there's almost always other people around me who say, oh yeah, I feel that way too. And I'm so glad somebody said that because, you know, particularly in UU circles, um, it's kind of hard to out yourself as somebody who isn't like um, you know, that I could just name my favorite poet or pick up what I do have Teresa's book <laughs> as my poetry book. Um, but it's it's an interesting phenomena that I've found particularly within Unitarian Universalism.
2: Well, I you know, I grew up learning poetry, but never um memorizing it. So it's I I find it fascinating the the the, the task to memorize a poem. Um we, we recited a lot of poetry and learned a lot of poetry in, in my school. Schools. We were. I went to um, a high school in New York City, uh, among whose famous alumni are Audre Lorde. Uh, so um, we were taught to have sort of a a pride in having a connection to her, which um, has served me well <laughs> because her poetry is so life giving. Um, she wrote a lot about uh, her schools in her
1: autobiographies i wonder if you looked at the way she was treated sometimes <laughs> did you talk about that or just have pride in her abstract? oh
2: they did not they did not talk about that when i was in well students talked about things like that because the students of color were being treated like that when i was in high school too let's just be real and so we talked about racism, and we talked about you know institutional racism and the history of it. And we were not taught to have a have pride that that was connected to. Um, I uh, when I went off to college, I um, one of the first classes I took uh, was in Native American literature. So um, I read a lot of Leslie Marmon Silko and um, Joy Harjo and other. Native American, the poet laureate Joy Harjo, yeah, which is like super exciting. Now it's like, oh, everybody else is discovering her poetry now too. Yay! Um, so I, I was introduced to those poet those poets in college, um, and at, at a time when when I was, uh, you know, when poetry was good for my soul. Um, so I'll lift those those poets up too. I, I've recently been introduced to the to the poetry of Wislawa Szymborska, um, yeah. who uh, is a Polish poet and I believe Nobel laureate in literature. Um, and of course, you know I'm not reading her poetry in the Polish, and uh, whoever's done the translation, I she's she's marvelous. So I'll I'll lift her up, too, as someone I've just recently been introduced to.
3: So I want to lift up one of our super fans, Kiana Perkins, um, who writes that uh, she loves words, music, have saved her life, and she lives off words. This is a book called Love and Other Futures. It is a book of poetry, untold stories of liberation and love. is an Ypsilanti-based collective that amplifies and generates local women of color's creative courage to envision our communities as we center cooperative community, governance solutions, grounded in abundance. So Kiana has a poem featured in this and half of it is in Spanish. Uh, and it's not Spanish translations of the first half of the book, they're all original poems. Uh, and so I, uh, these are on, this book is on Amazon, Love Another Futures. It's $4 each. So I bought 10 and gave that nine away. Um, Bec- and people who I've been giving them to love them. So, Kiana, thank you. Uh, and all of you who are in this book. And Kiana's poem, I'm trying to get it right now, is called Even Superheroes Get Depressed. And it's a beautiful, touching uh, poem. So, Kiana is crying. We love you, Kiana. And I love the book. And everyone I give this book to is just mesmerized. And of course, I have Teresa's book. Um, so,
1: and I'll lift up that Kiana also said. I want to be clear that I'm a fan girl to Teresa. They are bright light. <laughs> yeah, I Thank think you. You've, I think you've joined a bunch of fan people here.
5: <laughs> Appreciate you.
1: <laughs> so Teresa, I wonder about language and and Spanish and how how poetry is for you in terms of um, of language, English and Spanish and language.
5: One of the things that this conversation reminded me of is um, that my dad is a big fan of the Nicaraguan poet Ruben Darío. And he knew a poem by heart called Margarita about a princess who goes to heaven and steals a star and brings it back to her house. And she's trying to hide it from her parents, but her dad can see the star in her dress, you know, because it's burning bright. And um, he would say that to me by heart. And um, it was really, even though it sounds like a weird story, it's actually really pretty. And it's about how uh, dads love their daughters, even when they don't do everything perfectly. And, um, And I think that was really formative for me in terms of hearing other kinds of rhymes, other kinds of stories Um, the story itself was like pretty religious so it was a story that was set in a particular cultural trapping and um, I love poetry that's in Spanish or that has Spanish in it because um, there are people who learn one language and then another, but when you learn them at the same time, like I did, then they're both really important. And having uh, ways to be expressive in both of your languages can be really um, grounding. And at least for me, it's grounding in who I am, all the parts of me coming forward. So, yeah. I really, um, I was really excited that we were able to do a couple of pieces in Spilling the Light that are bilingual. I made them purposely bilingual because I wanted to still be able to share with folks, even if they don't speak Spanish. Um, And I'm just really grateful that we can continue to add to the conversation about there being more than one language and more than one language mattering.
1: Do you find that there are things that you can say in Spanish, you can convey in Spanish that you can't convey in English? Or or I guess vice versa?
5: I think so. But I think part of it is um, attitude and feeling that doesn't translate. So um, there's a way that, In Spanish, sarcasm can be not only ironic, but also towards a future or towards a past so that it's reflecting on time as well in sort of a wistful way. And I suppose that can be done in English. I just don't think it's quite as common. Um, So things like that are more they're probably more about feeling than words like the words exist everywhere right but how people talk about their feelings is different from culture to culture and family to family i think i don't know i, I, know I totally think true. i think
0: there's times when when i understand something in spanish that the person could have just said in english but because it's about it's usually when it's more abstract, when it's more about feelings or thoughts or culture um, or the way our culture makes us feel, um, that there's just, yeah, the, the translation isn't there. You just, you just need the words, you need the language um, is, is what draws you to the feelings or can draw you to the feelings.
3: Yeah, it's definitely true in Arabic. Like, I'll think of phrases in Arabic that make zero sense in English. Like, this is going to sound screwed up, but it's actually pretty funny when I think about it. So as children, we grew up with, it's not just, hey, you goofy kid, do this thing. It's like, may your future generations be cursed for 60,000 years if you don't do this thing, I tell you. So, I mean, in Arabic, it doesn't translate in English, but the feeling is clear. Like, just do what I tell you or else, you know, your descendants will be cursed it's super colorful, but when I try to translate, I'm like, none of this makes sense. And wow, this is pretty awful to say to a kid. So clearly my kids never heard this in English. So, um, but it is the feeling it's, I could tell my mother was not happy with me. So, um, and then it's, you know, even describing certain things, I'll think of the phrase in Arabic and try to say it, but it doesn't translate in the same quite way, but I appreciate the framing to this of it's a feeling it's you're talking about a feeling of frustration or happiness or it's cool.
2: Did, did your children hear it in arabic isha
3: oh yeah and and actually once i got reconnected to my mother she would say wacky things in both arabic and english and and they you get it you just you know the more time they spent with her they just learned curse words you know the fun stuff um i just
2: wonder cuz i grew up only speaking english but my mother and her aunts and my grandmother spoke italian around us when they didn't want the children to understand what they were saying. So I curse in Italian fairly fluently. Um, And it's sort of very natural, like when I have to express something like, seriously from here, it it comes out in Italian, Uh, even though I did not actually grow up speaking Italian. So I could say the Italian version of May the 60 gen- next 60 generations of your children. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, my kids people. will do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they'll, they'll pick up certain words and they'll say certain things. And they've learned some things from the Quran, my mother will say to them. My son, especially, is very good at languages. He speaks Russian. Um, but he'll say things in Arabic that she's delighted by it all. So, yeah, it's exactly, two, my kids will do that for sure.
1: Well, I mean, to the importance of metaphor and language, I was thinking about that Russian linguist. Um, whose name I forget it Stanford who's who moved over from Russia when she was a kid and started looking at how much people really are saying different things in Russian versus in English versus Trying to say the same thing with different language and one example I remember is that in Russia light blue and dark blue are not considered blue There isn't a category of blue that includes light blue and dark blue. They're two different colors And so nobody conceptualizes them as related to each other as shades of blue. And she did this study where she told the same story with a different metaphor. One of them said, crime is a beast ravaging our town. And one of them said, crime is an illness in our town. And and that was the only word that she changed. And when people listened and they were told beasts, the solutions they came up to crime and this the metaphor was more important than political party or anything else. The solutions they came up with were like, kill the beast. Whereas if they heard it was an illness, they came up with heal the illness. And Teresa, that's part of what I wonder about the relationship of activism and poetry is that you're dreaming a new way of of framing reality, of conceptualizing reality to to move people to, solutions is too easy of a word, but to imagination that we haven't been able to have yet about where we might be going and i see your poems doing that all the time the one that michael referenced the one all of them that are framing who we are and what we're doing on the planet and and i wonder if you respond to any of that
5: it was actually really important to me for the poems to have a uniquely unitarian universalist identity and um, for that, I had to refer to what I believe is core about our faith movement um, and talk about specific practices like keeping covenant and being your word and other other things. Uh, and I've heard a lot lately from different people about how, individualism is perfect or preferable to our collective liberation and in a way i wanted these poems to be able to speak to that and say whatever you hear whoever tells you that you can do it by yourself they're selling you an empty box of cereal they're selling you a rotten steak they're selling you something that's messed up because Our possibility is so much better than that. And, and yeah, so all the ways that the poems declare that future to be the case, to say that this is our future, I think that was the act of faith inside each of them, to say, if you look this way, you'll find it. You can build it. Let's do this right um and i feel like people took it that way they said thank you I, i've been wanting to say this you know and i'm really humbled and grateful for that yeah
3: can i read um to the people who have mistaken freedom for liberation cuz this is one of my favorites and it says with thanks to reverend leela sinha sure to be Thank you. To be free, you must embrace the breadth of your own existence without apology, even if they try to take it from you. You must know not that you can do whatever you want. You are not a kutsu vine eating entire hillsides for the purpose of feeding your own lush life. You must know instead that inside you are entire universes, milky blue, magenta, and gold expanding. But to actually be free, You must know and you must fight for the entire universes inside everyone else. Being free is not a license, but a promise.
4: As someone from Georgia who's never had people talk about kudzu outside of Georgia, and just seeing that kudzu just, uh, I always was fascinated with it too have it in a poem and have it in such a way that really just defines everything that kudzu is and how it, yeah, that I, I that was actually the one that I read at the House Vespers that, yeah. Thank you. Thank you I love too. that poem so much.
5: Yeah, every time I hear it, I think about the hillside, right? How the kudzu will just grow and grow and never stop
1: you watch it coming your way you're like
5: no that was true in dc like
1: quick sell the house it's Mm coming
5: yes yes also i guess one one thing that though those images and others from this book really crystallized for me is my connection to religious naturalism and the way that the world around us is holding big truth about how we stay alive and who we are as we live. So that's something good.
3: I think that's what I love most about your poetry is the big truths. I also want to... um, mine is signed so i have not only a first edition but i have several signed. Guys. i think i have i got I a sticker just, to
1: put into mine but that's nope. close
3: i have it right there i'm just bragging because i love that so much so um but i love that the the universal truth you're I, honestly today so you're one of my favorite poets you're up there with Shel silverstein so
5: hey that's good company I have a little notebook that I carry around in case someone says, "Hey, can you do an opening or closing or reading?" And I have a a poem in there by Shel Silverstein where he talks about he's never seen a vampire and he's never seen an elf. All the magic that he's ever made, he's have to make. He's had to make himself. Right? It's really good
3: really good. Although I've never asked you Teresa, what do you think about the um giving tree? <laughs> With 10 minutes left.
0: I I never thought it was bad until I read the critique and then I was like, oh well, it's an interesting thing because
3: I think the the so to me I agree with you. I never thought it was bad until suddenly I I I ran You know, you hostile you use to hostile you use hostile to this book just wrote, you know, manifestos about how this true you know this boy is just evil and I'm like, and I I don't know. I think growing up um, in a culture that you always give to others as part of who you are as a collective and a family and a community. I always took it that way, I, of course, I, you know, and then when I read the critique, it's like, you can't unsee it, but it kind it, of annoys yeah. me because I'm like, it's easy to say, don't give of yourself. You have to take care. But we're already a culture that starts with, I'm not giving you shit unless, you know, I take care of, I mean, so it feels like it's, I get it, but it feels like an overcorrection too. I actually think we need to think less about only take, you know, that it is good to give of yourself. Not till you become a tree stump, I get it, but.
5: I think one of the complications is that whenever we say, hey, this is a healthy thing to do, there are always people who turn a healthy thing into a harmful thing or ignore, like, the healthy proportion, right? And there's always people willing to take advantage. So in order not to have to, like, nuance it to death, and say, hey, you should be giving, unless people are being, uh, unless people are over, like overtake taking too much, then, you know, that sort of breaks the rhythm of the story. So then we
0: don't do that.
5: But I think, uh, and I've noticed myself doing that even in preaching. So not too long ago, uh, talking about, It's our, one of the important things we must do is learn each other's stories. And there's limits to that, right? So people have to keep covenant. They have to use safe behavior, you know. And so by the time you add all the nuance, then, you know, it's almost like you change the subject a little bit. But the nuance is what makes it, right?
4: I wanted to ask you, um, there's a poem of yours that I love that I do not know how to pronounce the the, the um, title. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I want to use it so much, but I'm like, um, I don't want to be that person. So I want to ask you, is it Taraxacum? Taraxacum? T-A-R-A-X-A-Q-U-M? Anybody help me, because I love this poem so much. It comes right after a snowflake's, guide, snowflake's a guy, at least in the Kindle version.
3: Yeah, it does in the book, too.
4: And it's such a great poem.
2: I'd say Taraxicum. It's the genus of dandelions, yes?
4: Yes. She's probably coughing. They're probably coughing right now. The
1: scientist answer. I'm back.
4: Yes. Taractum. Yay. Oh, Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. I was like, this one actually is like one of my favorites in this whole. Why don't you read it, Antonia? Look. Okay. Okay. Even though they're, they are edible, someone decided that dandelions are weeds, stragglers to destroy, to uproot. But dandelions never got the memo, never thought to care. Busy instead with dropping roots, flinging seeds, unfurling shoots, and persistent in digging in that tap root to depths of two or three average adults end to end, the tiny yellow flower survives. You are no less resilient, reaching both down to the strength that holds you and up, up to the light, out with your beauty. And you know, having sunk your effort into the cool damp earth that while dandelions can be clipped and fought uninvested in anyone's opinion, they throw their sparklingly futures onto the wind, tomorrow tucked into seeds, and grow all the way back strong and bow- bowing at the very same time. That is my ish. I love this one so much. It's Thank right you. up there with Shell Silverstein sick
5: that's a good
4: one yeah it is so thank you for writing that
5: thank you too so apropos of nothing one of my favorite poems is uh ninjas by jane yet and she just talks about how Ninjas make terrible cater waiters because no one can hear them coming, and and um, ninjas are here to murder us, but also to save us from ourselves. It's just a really tight, good poem.
1: Michael, you're going to read a poem. You look like you're about to.
2: No. I mean. I mean, I could, if you want me to, we've got five minutes left. read one of your favorites. There might be other things to do.
3: No,
1: we're having a nice solstice uh, poetry gathering.
3: Blessed are the Hungry is another good one. I'm just going, I mean, I I think I like every single one of the, like, love them. I don't just like them, every single one. Should I read that one? Michael, do you want to read that one? Blessed are the Hungry on page 11? or not. <laughs>
2: sure. I mean, I, again, I open up this book. Want and, to read a different one. and that one. So this is Aisha's next favorite. Lesson. No, you
3: can read yours. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. You can read the one you want.
2: Here is not. Again, I could. Yep, that one. Mm-hmm. And that one.
1: I think maybe we are responsible for one of the printings of the book here at
0: the show, right? Well, I, you know, I bought <laughs> no copies
5: because exactly.
2: Thank my, you so much, my friends. member gift that I give to new They're members. They're great of,
1: gifts. Oh, for new members. What a good idea.
2: Which is why I have a giant pile of them here in my office.
5: Oh, look at that pile. <laughs> <laughs>
2: my, my own personal copy, I have um, written Rev on the cover. Um and we don't need to get into that controversy here on the view.
5: Thank you, Michael. You're the best.
2: But if here we're gonna read one that I get to pick, it'll be this mitochondrial gift. You're a
1: scientist. <laughs> uh, you're you're a bi- aren't you a biologist before
2: um Doctorate I love in it. biology. I love the mitochondria coming out. So here we go. But this is not about mitochondria, necessarily. Our history is always with us. Across organisms, offspring receive a maternal inheritance, DNA. Strands of instructions twisted together and reaching into the future. What is the secret tucked in the folds of tiny parts of cells? How does that legacy keep us alive? We are each and all holding a gift of humanity, fragile, wrapped in tissue. We are connected by those gifts, generation after generation, failure after new attempt, dream upon dream, creation from disaster, I know. You're just not sure about your place, about this time, about what, if anything, is possible. Just try to remember that people have built splendid new futures from much less than the magic and the bequest of life that you now hold. The world is waiting for your gifts and invitation. Do not blame yourself for being wonderful. There is no shame in this. You must instead expand and understanding the destiny of your inheritance, the here, the now, the you, you must fly. Mitochondrial gift.
1: Well, it is a gift. The whole, the whole book is a gift. Teresa Soto, thank you for the gifts that you've given the movement. You, you are giving language to deep yearnings for, for many, many of us. Well, Any final words from you as we wrap up our hour, Teresa?
5: Well, I really appreciate hearing from folks what the book has meant to them um it's really kind of people to tell me and also to share and I actually do love hearing from folks what their favorite is you know and and uh, feeling like there's something that stands out for them um I'm always available to chat about poetry and I'm really looking forward to hearing more um and doing more and sharing more and being shared with I can't Wait to read Kiana's book, it looks fantastic. And um, thank you so much for this opportunity.
1: So I'll do one more question. Does that mean you're uh, at work on another volume when you say you can't wait to share more? I'm just curious.
5: (laughs) I am at work on another set. It'll be a while. Um, I have less time to focus on that at the parish, but still working on it, still writing.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday, everyone. We're going to be off for the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back in January on YouTube, I think it's safe to say. Take care.
0: Thank you, everyone. everyone. If you would like to learn more about this scale up visit questformeaning.org.